Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of a Light Unto My Path podcast. I am your host Howard Sides. Today we're going to start chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. Now chapter 16 begins uh, what I would consider the in some way the heart and soul of the book of Revelation. Chapter 16 through 19 is going to talk about uh, the final judgment, the the war uh, between God and Satan, Jesus Christ and Satan, and and it describes in in a certain amount of detail uh, all of the events that are going to take place. And we've already had the uh, seven seals judgments pass. We've already had the seven uh, trumpet seals pass, and so now we're uh, getting into chapter 15 was like the introduction uh, where we've seen the angels come forth uh, and they were given uh, these seven judgments, these seven plagues. And so we're going to start right in on it. And let's just read. Uh, let's see. I know we're not going to get even a portion of this done, but let, let's just read chapter 16. Since we're starting it, we'll read the whole thing and then go back and break it down. All right, Revelation chapter 16, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God, almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over the plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth, and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. 
And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not, since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were found, uh, were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Okay, so talk about a horror story. That, that pretty much unravels one for you right there in chapter 16. And all I can say is, I sure hope you're saved uh, and don't have to go through this stuff. Uh, chapter 16. Now, let's uh, break down what we're going to uh, discuss here. Uh, it is divided up into uh, three main sections. Uh, the first section would be by itself in verse 1. That is, the judgment is commanded. The judgment is commanded in verse 1. And then verses 2 through 9, we see the judgment is commenced. The judgment is commenced. And then finally, verses 10 through 21 is the judgment is completed. The judgment is completed. All right, so uh, we'll just start here in verse 1 with the judgment is commanded. And uh, there's kind of an introduction uh, that I gave in the Sunday school class for uh, coming into chapter 16. And I'll just read that for you as it is. I uh, took the comments out of John Phillips' commentary as he started chapter 16, and he says, and I quote, uh, For chapter after chapter now in the apocalypse, it has been like a torrid summer's day. There has been a stillness in the atmosphere, the quiet, ominous calm before the storm. Occasional distant rumblings have been heard, nothing much, but enough to suggest the dimension of the coming storm. For the most part, <clears throat> Things have been muted and low, and yet the tension has been there, steadily mounting, and the heat has been oppressive. The chapters have been pregnant with doom, and now the time has come for the storm to break in all its pent-up fury and to crash from verse to verse of this chapter in a stupendous roar. Mercifully, the storm will be short, and best of all, it will leave the skies sunny and clear for a thousand years. End quote. All right, and now we've talked about the seal the seven seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgments, and this is, of course, the seven vial or seven bowl uh, judgments. Now, there are some similarities in the judgments of the trumpets and the bowls. Uh, the first series deals with the earth. Uh, you can correspond that with chapter 8, verse 7, and here, chapter 16, verse 2. Uh, the second series deals with the sea. That's chapter 8 verses 8 through 9, and then here, chapter 16, verse 3. Uh, the third series deals with the rivers and fountains of waters, uh, chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, and here, chapter 16, verse 4. Uh, the fourth series deals with the sun, that's chapter 8, verse 12, and here in verse 8 of chapter 16. Uh, the fifth series deals with darkness, that also is found in chapter 8 and verse 12, and here chapter 16, verse 10. The sixth series deals with the Euphrates River, 
Uh, that can be found chapter 9, verses 13 through 14, and here chapter 16, verse 12. And then finally, the seventh series deals with lightnings, thunder, thunders, and earthquakes, or thunderings and earthquakes, however you want to read that. Uh, that can be found chapter 11, uh, verse 19, and here chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. Now, while there are similarities, there are also striking differences as well. Uh, the first four trumpets deal with only one-third of the earth, while the bowl judgments are universal in its scope. It deals with everything. Uh, the bowls are much greater in intensity as well as in degree of coverage and effect, and the bowls fall quickly and in rapid succession. Also, the seven bowl judgments are aimed at the seven sins of unrepentant man. And if you notice that, I, I read those three verses uh, verse 9, verse 11, and then the end of verse 21, uh, where it talks about man blasphemed the name of God, which had power over the plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Verse 9, verse 11, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their uh, sores, and repented not of their deeds. And then the end of verse 21 there, it says, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell. Uh, still, stubborn man, not changing his mind. Uh, so, uh, as far as dealing with the seven fit, the first vial, first bowl, first vial, uh, malignant sores strike men. That's contempt for God's commands. The second vial, the sea is turned to blood. They chose the mark of the beast to maintain material security. Uh, the third vial, rivers and springs turned to blood. That's uh, for, for forsaking God, the source of the living water. The fourth vial, the sun scorches men. That's the rejection of God's day of rest, the Sunday, Sunday. Uh, the fifth vial, deep darkness upon the earth. That's forsaking God, the light of the world. The sixth vial, drying up the river Euphrates, blindly trusting apostate Babylon. And then the seventh vial, terrible earthquake and giant hailstones is the rebellion of Satan, his angels, and all the nations they have deceived. Okay, so that's kind of an overview. Now let's get into... Uh, the actual chapter, and break it down. Of course, verse 1, we talked about it. It is the judgment is commanded. The judgment is commanded. And it starts off, it says, And I heard a great voice. Now, great here is the Greek word megos, which means large, great, huge, or loud. Big, exceedingly, or mighty. Uh, megos, uh, as the word great, is used 11 times just in this chapter alone in connection with these events. Uh, of course, this is the great voice. Uh, that's in verse 1, and it's also again in verse 17. There is a mention of a great heat in verse 9. The great river Euphrates, verse 12. That great day of God Almighty, verse 14. A great earthquake, and so great an earthquake, in verse 18. So that's two mentions there. Uh, the great city, great Babylon, verse 19, two mentions there a great hail in verse 21, and the plague thereof was exceeding great, verse 21. Now, the number 11 is symbolic of disorder, and that can only describe what happens on earth when these seven bowls are unleashed, and, and you kind of see it. It's, it's, a, it's a type of chaos, uh, for lack of any other uh, description there. Uh, the next phrase out of this verse 1, uh, out of the temple, out of the temple. This voice is probably God's own voice as it comes from within the temple. Um, it doesn't specifically say that, 
you, you kind of get the feel of the authority uh, that this is the final judgment upon the earth other other than the great white throne. Well, I mean, that's what, but as far as dealing with man on earth uh, and the earth itself, uh, you, you kind of get the feel that, that uh, God has a role in this. Uh, not emphatically saying this is God's voice, that it couldn't be anyone else's. It could be, but it just kind of hints to it. And that, that's all we got to go on. That's it. Uh, the next phrase, uh, saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now, this phrase shows the fourfold order and control of God, even in this epic time of judgment in his wrath. Uh, he orders them to go, and he orders them to go in their path and only their path. Uh, he orders them to pour out the vials, and he orders them to pour them out upon the earth. So God is still in total control. This is not just unmitigated chaos just carried out. There, There is a rank and order to how it comes out as well. Uh, there are four things to note here um, in this verse uh, and, and in within this command to these angels. The, the first is the command. The command. He tells them to go. Now we can only guess as to how long these seven angels have been prepared to carry out this task. Uh, but they could not perform the task until uh, like we said, until God himself gave the order to do so or whoever, whoever it was that told him to go. I'm assuming it's God. Uh, so they could not go. Uh, no telling how long they were prepared. I imagine they were uh, created for this task. So they've always been prepared. Um, God creates the angels for whatever task they have. Uh, I can't really see one of these angels that pours out this vial being the same angel in charge of uh, making sure flowers bloom. <laughs> kind of a different job there, but <laughs> maybe a cactus. But anyway. Uh, I think these angels are specific for their task. Uh, that's why they were created, and they've always been ready. They've just been waiting on this two-letter command of go, and that's what they're doing now. Uh, the second thing, other than command, would be to note the control. Uh, he uses that phrase, your ways, in the plural. Now, the seven did not all go in a sporadic and chaotic manner at the same time and unleash their bowls at once. Rather, they each went one at a time, and to a specific place and or position, and then moved out of the way of the next angel in succession. Uh, the phrase, your ways, uh, is the Greek word, hupago, H-U-P-A-G-O, hupago. Uh, it means to lead under, withdraw, or retire from sight, to depart and go away. Uh, now, while this could be interpreted as God telling the angels to all go and do their task at the same time, I think this gives a more specific command to each of them to go and perform their task and then remove themselves to withdraw or retire out of the way of the next angel in line. Verse 2 tells us the angel, uh, the first angel went, then only mentions the other six as pouring. This could indicate to us that only the first angel went, returned, then the second went, returned, and etc., or they all seven left together but stood back and watched as each one performed their own assigned task. It doesn't specify other than they went to the specific place uh, where they were supposed to go. So that's the command, control. Now look at the condition uh, in the phrase pour out. Pour out is the Greek word uh, uh, ekio, E-K-C-H-E-O, ekio. 
It means to gush out, to run greedily. Uh, so God leaves nothing to chance. He, he specifically orders the angels to gush out their bowls immediately and quickly. And, you know, I mentioned it in the last podcast in chapter 15 when we talked about these bowls. Uh, you get a picture in your mind of, of a deep bowl with high sides on it. That's not what a vial is. It's more like a shallow plate with just a, uh, uh, it's kind of like a saucer with a built-up wall on it uh, to hold an amount of liquid in or whatever it is. And, and that's the idea of what here. Uh, they're not slowly pouring this thing out like like they're mixing ingredients together to make a cake. Uh, it's like they take it and they just turn it over and dump it right out immediately. And, and so the shallow bowl gives the effect of that. That's what they're doing. That's why it's described that way. Okay. Uh, the fourth thing to point out is the content, the content, the vials. Uh, all seven bowls were not of the same type, kind, or manner. They all carried a specific judgment, a different judgment. Uh, David Thomas, uh, in his commentary, he says, and I quote, uh, The sufferings of some are distinguished by physical diseases, some by social bereavements, some by secular losses and disappointments, some by mental perplexities, and some by moral anguish. Uh, and a verse that lends to that is Proverbs 14.10, which says, The heart knoweth his own bitterness. The heart knoweth his own bitterness. Um, now, uh, Clarence Larkin uh, wrote uh, and, and pretty much drew out uh, a great book called Dispensational Truth. And in it, he he goes through uh, much of the Bible and and has penciled or, or grafted out all these charts that you can look at um, to go along with what he's talking about. And, and he does a great uh, breakdown of the book of Revelation. It's not focused totally on Revelation. It, it goes through uh, most of the Bible from the very beginning to the end. Uh, but he has quite a bit of information in on on the subject of, of Revelation, and, and in this context of these vials or these bowls, uh, Clarence Larkin says, and I quote, uh, These vials and their contents are literal. One cannot imagine that such momentous things as are here described refer to historical events that are already past, as when some interpret the first vial as the French Revolution in A.D. 1792 and the sores its infidelity and the second vial as the naval wars of that revolution, the third vial as the battles of Napoleon in Italy, and the rest of the vials as historic events that happened in the 19th century. If this be true, then we have been passing in the past 200 plus years through the period of the Great Tribulation without knowing it, and have been preaching grace, and not that the hour of the, his judgment has come. This is supposition and not exposition and requires the reader of the book of Revelation to be versed in all the historical events of the Christian era. No, these vile judgments are yet future and will be literally fulfilled as here described, and this gives us the key to the literalness of the whole book of Revelation. That these vile judgments are not figurative is clear from the fact that four of the seven have actually happened before. They are simply repetitions of the plague's of Egypt, end quote, and I'll even add, but also of a much grander scale, or greater scale, however you want to put it, I don't know if grand is the exact word you want to use the judgment, but anyway, um, there you are. 
Okay, so that is the judgment commanded. Uh, now let's uh, look into the second point here in verses 2 through 9. The judgment is commenced. The judgment is commenced. And within that point, there are uh, one, two, three. There's four points to bring out within that. Uh, verse 2 tells us about the unexpected cancer of the seal. The unexpected cancer of the seal. Uh, verse 3 is the unexplained contamination of the sea. Unexplained contamination of the sea. Verses 4 through 7 is the unexaggerated corruption of the streams. The unexaggerated corruption of the streams. And then the final point, verses 8 through 9, is the unexampled catastrophe to the sun. The unexampled catastrophe to the sun. All right, so this first one in verse 2, the unexpected cancer of the seal. Uh, and notice that phrase there. It says, a noisome and grievous sore. A noisome and grievous sore. And th there's two things to point out with it, within this unexpected cancer. is First of all, the power of this vial. And then secondly, the purpose of this vial. The power of this vial and then the purpose of this vial. Uh, so first of all, the power. Uh, that first word, noisome. Uh, it is the Greek word kakos, K-A-K-O-S, and it means worthless, depraved, injurious, evil, harm, wicked, something very bad. A word used to describe every form of evil, whether moral or physical. Uh, the second word, grievous, is the Greek word poneros, poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S, and that means hurtful, evil in effect or influence calamitous, diseased, or vicious. And then this word sore uh, is the Greek word helkos, helkos, H-E-L-K-O-S. It means an ulcer, a boil, or a botch. The same word is used in Exodus describing the boils in the sixth plague there. Uh, this describes a sore, ulcer, or boil of a severe and painful character, possibly the result of some fearful plague. The use of the word noisome indicates that this plague carried an incredible odor and was especially painful and dangerous, while grievous is used to increase the intensity of the expression and to indicate that it is particularly severe. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 on that point talks about this. Um, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified, with ointment. So apparently whatever this bowl or sore is, it carries some uh, incredible stink or odor with it, apparently. So that's the power of this vial. Uh, second, notice the purpose of this vial. Uh, again, it corresponds to the sixth plague issued forth against Egypt. And that's talked about in Exodus chapter 9, 
uh, verses 8 through 11, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses and to Aaron, uh, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Now the reason this vial is first is because in Exodus it was directed against the Egyptian magicians, Janus and Jambres, so they could not stand before Moses. Here, it attacks those who practice sorcery for the beast, as they submitted to the mark of the beast, so now they must bear the mark of the avenging God. Uh, notice the next phrase there, uh, it says in the verse, upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which uh, worshipped his image. Now this specific, uh, specifically affects those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worship his image only. Now the use of the conjunction and indicates that two conditions must be present before this bowl is poured out. The first condition, some will accept the mark of the beast. The second point is some will worship his image. Now the mark of the beast also has God's twofold promise of wrath and torment. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 30 and 31 tells us, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What a scary verse, um, but direct and to the point. That verse 31, it is. If you just think about that a minute when it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's fearful for some, but it sure is peaceful for others. But still, even in peace, uh, there's an amount of respect with it as well. Uh, back in Revelation 14, we also read there in verses 9 through 10, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So he warns them there what's going to happen. And that that phrase there, which is poured out without mixture, uh, that means there's no grace at all in it. That means there's no, it's not watered down a bit. Uh, it's just pure, it's just raw, and it's it's bad, okay? Uh, and yet, there is still the invitation of a merciful God for the repentant Jew. Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 through 5, it says there, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Now, when he uses that phrase there, my people, he's not talking about mankind in general. Again, remember, the book of Revelation is focused on the Israelites, 
So when he says my people, he's talking about Israelites that still are holding out, that have not believed in God. They're still following this beast, um, the Antichrist. Now the phrase uh, used there, upon the earth, <coughs> excuse me, uh, might seem to suggest the terrestrial planet, uh, but this particular bowl is focused on humanity itself. It's, it's not focused on earth, it's focused on mankind. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, back in 1969, uh, Leon Morris wrote in his book, uh, Tyndale New Testament Commentaries, uh, he wrote, and I, and I quote, uh, a mandatory deduction here is that no literal destruction of the land is meant. But what is meant? The earth itself, its populations out of which the land beast arose, will become one vast propaganda factory advancing the tech, uh, teachings of the devil uh, with the result that all kinds of stinking ulcers shall spring up all over the world. Within the, a few blocks of where it is written, there are a dozen of them, as proclaimed by their gaudy neon signs, totally nude girls, adult theater, triple X movies, bottoms up club, Sylvia's Sin Lounge, and etc. If anyone does not believe such places are stinking ulcers, let him ask the police of any great city. Tragically, there is no way to stop the pornographic liquor, prostitution, and perversion palaces which today fill half the world. An angel of the wrath of God will pour out his bowl upon the earth, not upon a third of it, but upon all of it. End quote. Uh, now, what Mr. Morris is saying is that this first bowl will basically be the entire world eat up with this sin culture. He would certainly be shocked to see that this has happened before any bowl has been poured out. <laughs> yeah, I think he was thinking it would be that bad right before, but we, we've been in this situation for years. Uh, it's terrible. But also, in, back in 1957, that's well over 60 years ago, uh, Martin Rist, in his book, The Interpreter's Bible, he writes... And I quote, it is not merely that lust, vulgarity, pornography, violence, perversion, and obscenity are present in our culture. They have always been present in greater or lesser extent in every culture. What is alarming today is the toleration, the acceptance, and justification of such things, even to the extent of their being advocated and encouraged by political institutions. And that is what signals a frightening new aspect of such wickedness today. It could be later than we think. End quote. And I think he carries a good point there. Um, it's not. It's not the fact that it's going on. It's that we're not. We're even promoting it. Um, have Have you noticed? Just in this past year, the commercials on TV are pushing the mixed races, they're pushing the gay agenda, uh, they're pushing uh, uh, transgender things, I, even, and listen, I'll call them out, I see it like I see it, um, one of my favorite channels is Hallmark, uh, especially Christmas time, man, they dump all these Christmas movies out, they should make you feel good, uh, but even within the last year, Hallmark has failed and seceded to this culture of uh, pushing the uh, acceptance agenda. I, I, <clears throat> they, they, they have movies with uh, mixed-race couples on them, uh, with, with gay couples on them, 
homosexual things. There's like two gay guys in one movie that's trying to adopt a little girl. Listen, folks, that's sick. Um, that is totally, totally, totally against the Bible. I don't care what you argue it for uh, or try and hide it in some of the verses and pull a verse out here, a verse there. Uh, the Bible says God is the same today and yesterday and, and forever. Uh, yesterday, today, and forever. And when he says that, that homosexuality is an abomination, uh, friend, he has not changed his mind. He has not changed his mind. And these people that have deceived themselves or have let, allowed Satan to deceive them in thinking that uh, it's okay, God's allowing it to happen on, uh, they're going to find out one day very soon uh, just, just how wrong they are. Uh, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. doesn't matter what your opinion is. doesn't matter what their opinion is. What matters is what thus saith the Lord. And uh, they might want to research that because uh, there's a whole world of hurt getting ready to come down, a whole universe uh, out of this universe hurt, however you want to put it. Now, again, here, when we take what Mr. Morris and Mr. Rist are suggesting, is that the openness and acceptance of this level of sin in their time uh, represents what the first bowl will be like, uh, but on a global scale. Uh, what they both and many others fail to realize is that we are told later in verse 11 that those who are affected by this first bowl uh, blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. This bowl is no mere symbolic suggestion of the increased activity of sin, but a direct and literal action of the God of heaven to purposefully inflict these people with actual sores because of their participation in these sins. All right, uh, the first bold judgment is a repetition of the sixth Egyptian plague, but on a global scale. We've already said that. Clarence Larkin, in his book Dispensational Truth, he says, and I quote, that the Exodus plague actually happened, no believer in the Bible doubts, then why should we try to explain away the literalness of the plagues that should follow the pouring out of each of these vials? Boils are caused by bad blood and reveal corruption in the system. These grievous sores, which will come upon men only and not upon the beasts also, as in the time of Moses, will not only reveal corruption in the body, but in the heart of those whose sins will cause corruption in their bodies. That these sores are reserved for those who have the mark of the beast and who worship his image is full proof that these vile judgments are still future. The effect of the plague of boils upon the Egyptians was to harden their hearts, and a like effect will be produced upon the followers of Antichrist by the plagues that shall follow the pouring out of the vials. For we read in verse 9, verse 11, and verse 21 that men will blaspheme God and refuse to repent. From this we see that suffering alone does not lead to repentance. End quote. And that's a good point there. Suffering alone does not lead to repentance. There has to be the changing of the heart, not the hardening of the body. All right. Um, verse 3 is... Uh, the unexplained contamination of the sea. Uh, verse 2, the unexpected cancer of the seal. Here in verse 3, the unexplained contamination of the sea. And there in verse 3, it uses that phrase, and it became as the blood of a dead man. Now, when blood leaves the body, two things will happen. One, it will congeal. That means it solidifies. Uh, this would not only make it impossible for ships to sail, but would make it impossible for sea life to breathe also. 
the second thing that will happen, it will stink horribly. It will start to rot. Now, this unimaginable stench, again, will be worldwide. Worldwide. Uh, James Knox uh, says in his commentary, and I quote, It cannot be that this is merely dead blood, for all shed blood becomes that almost at once. And the sea turned into blood would by itself suggest death without the additional truth. It seems that the blood of a dead man, while it is indeed dead blood, is also that which has not been shed. The life has not been violently taken, but lost through disease or natural decay. Thus, in the law that which died of itself was forbidden as food because it spoke of internal corruption. What he's talking about there is the Bible specifically says you're not supposed to drink or eat blood. So those of you that like those rare steaks, you might ought to rethink that because that's actually against what the Bible teaches. You didn't know that. Uh, the next phrase, every living soul died in the sea. Every living soul died in the sea. Now, the first officially recorded instance of what is known as a red tide uh, takes place off the coast of British Columbia all the way back in 1793. 1793, the red tide is a type of algae. We'll, we'll get into it first, just making these numbers here for you. Now, the first to hit the U.S. coast occurs in Florida in 1844. So they've been around for a while. I know they were in the news a couple of years ago, uh, I guess because of the size of them, but uh, they've been around for many, many years. Now, a red tide is a common name for an algae bloom, a large concentration of aquatic uh, microorganisms. These organisms uh, have pigments that vary in color from pink to red or even brown. These blooms produce natural toxins, which are harmful to marine life, wildlife, and even humans as well. Now, with a red tide, the water first turns yellow. In a few days or weeks, the water gets thick, sticky, and glutinous, with tiny creatures called dinoflagellates, or tiny one-celled organisms. These kill the marine life, even bait used on hooks. Uh, the dead and decaying marine life leave a stench on beaches for a distance up to 70 uh, to 80 miles. Uh, these red tides have struck some part of the East Coast every year since 1991. Every year since 1991. Uh, eating fish contaminated by the tide produces severe symptoms uh, caused by a potent nerve poison. Uh, a few grams, which distributed precisely, uh, could easily kill everyone in the world. A few grams could kill everyone in the world. Now consider for a moment just how dependent the human race is on the sea uh, for oil, natural gas, food, even shipping lanes to allow us to trade goods with nations around the world. Now, how long can the planet's ecosystem survive when everything in the sea is dead? Now, without deep speculation, <laughs> not long. Uh, remember that this is the second time in the tribulation week that the planet's oceans and seas have been targeted by God to judge man. The other time was the second trudge, uh, trumpet judgment back in Revelation uh, chapter 8 and verse 9. That was most likely a regional ecological catastrophe. Uh, killing one-third of the sea's animals is dangerous. Killing all sea life uh, is pretty much world-ending. Now, in reference to such a horrible event, 
uh, <clears throat> to why such a horrible event is not only necessary but deserved, uh, R.C.H. Linsky says in his commentary, and I quote, We shall note some of the types of corruptions indicated. The universities and schools have taken up the task of preaching Satan's lies, such as evolution, which leads undeniably to the conclusion that man is merely an animal with no more cosmic value than a worm or a rat. What has this done for the human moral and spiritual environment? Besides this, there are a thousand other evil postulations which are being swallowed, advocated, and taught almost universally in our culture today, such as humanism, the self-sufficiency of man, the lie that his favorite sins of adultery, drunkenness, homosexuality, criminality, and etc. are in no sense sins at all, but merely diseases which society is obligated to pay for and treat. Uh, one of the main, I'm stepping out here for a minute, say this, uh, one of those is uh, drunkenness. It's, the, it's, it's now called a, a disease of alcohol. It's not a disease, it's a sin. A, a disease is something that you don't have the option of getting. It just attacks your body and hits you. Uh, alcoholism, you've got to put that bottle to your mouth <clears throat> and take the swig, all right? Um, let's pick back up in here. Uh, back into the quote. Uh, another lie is that man is not morally responsible for what he does, that society owes every man a good living with all of the conveniences and luxuries thrown in, that man is essentially good, that he is thoroughly capable of solving all of his problems, etc., etc. The great theological seminaries are devoted unreservedly to the destruction of the Bible. The churches that ordain homosexuals, adulterers, and even atheists to their pulpits and contradict the scriptures in practically all that they either do or teach, the love cult that robs God of any other prerogative except that of loving us wicked sinners, what else is God for, uh, these are just a few of the evidences of man's intellectual environment having been polluted, end quote. And I, I have to say what he is saying right there. I don't know when he wrote this. I didn't write down what year it was he wrote this. Uh, but if you're looking out in the world today and you can't see this stuff happening right in front of our faces and, and the system has been in place, uh, we've been programming our children in these public schools uh, about this humanism uh, that that we should actually get involved in homosexuality. It's not just teaching acceptance. It's teaching activism in it. It is programming our children to be a part of it. Uh, socialism, communism, all that stuff. Look, look at just the, the political mantras out there in the world today. I, and I don't keep up with much in the political world except kind of what's going on here in the United States. But look, look at just what is happening here in our political system. I mean, some of this stuff that they're actually pro proclaiming um, years ago, that <laughs> not only would they have not have been elected, they'd have been run out of town for some of this stuff. It, it's, it's amazing. Um, okay, let's see. Um, I think I'm going to have to stop there and then we'll pick up the next point in the next podcast, uh, which will be continued there in verse 4. So, um, Let's, let's, um, yeah, we'll end the, this podcast here. It's been a while, been long enough, so you can take a break. <laughs> and, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you stick with us. 
uh, through this chapter I, the, from 16 through 19. I'm telling you, it's 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 some incredible information here, especially when we get into chapter 17, the attack on the religious Babylon. Boy, I'm telling you, Ed, there's going to be some uh, people offended in that. I, I can go ahead and promise you that right now. But it's not my words, it's the Bible. I'm, I'm, th I'm giving it to you straight out of the Bible there. All right. Uh, so once again, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you join me again on the next podcast. Uh, remember, pray for me, pray for each other, pray for your local church, pray for our country. And may God bless you and have a great day. Thank you.